This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Sometimes I stand amazed at just how backwards life can seem. As humans, we have a tendency to adjust our surroundings and claim them as our own without the foresight to see into the future. We grow accustomed to the way things are, not the way that God wants them to be. The children of Egypt had the same problem. They grew accustomed to life in Egypt. Egypt was a superpower, and it offered protection and provision. Even though they were bound by the clutches of slavery, they mistakenly felt that they had a good life, to the extent that some wanted to turn back into slavery rather than adjust to the new circumstances and its surroundings. So many that are reading and commenting on my writings in the forums and the blogs that I'm involved with mistakenly accuse my family of having some unique dislike or hatred of the cult. They do not know us personally they assumed that we either couldn't live it or they were or that we were forced into exodus by men who did not correctly follow the leader's teachings but those that do know us are absolutely puzzled they can remember talking to us laughing with us discussing life with us and don't remember a single complaint in the lives that we lived In fact, some will tell you that we lived it much more firmly than themselves, not wavering in faith of the prophet. The puzzle is seen as dangerous for them. Since leaving the cult, most of the people that we once knew have avoided the puzzle altogether, abandoning our friendship and just avoiding us completely. I watched as a close friend's wife started to enter a restaurant while he was lagging behind and I got a bit of a chuckle because I knew this man well and he lagged behind quite often. I was prepared to stand and wave to them. I was actually moving towards the edge of my seat to greet them as they entered into the restaurant. But my movement caught their eye. She pointed at me, spoke something to him, and they both backed out of the door, got in their vehicle and fled the parking lot like it was on fire. Living in the devil's den, Jeffersonville, Indiana, this is a common occurrence. Frequently, 
in a restaurant or in a grocery store or even in an auto repair shop, people that we would have taken a bullet for will show the true evil nature of a religious cult that has strayed from the love of Christ. Those that can't run from us turn their heads quickly to the ground, pretending that they don't hear us or see us. My wife recently met one face-to-face -face in a grocery store, and the poor lady did not have time to bow her head. So she stood there with a puzzled look on her face, her eyes moving back and forth rapidly, saying, What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> I told my wife not to let it get her down. I mean, really. How often in God's service do you have an entire group of hundreds who will bow down as you see them? We're like kings. You know, for those that know us personally, they realize that we have not left the love of Christ. They know that we had no intention of leaving the extra-biblical rules imposed by the cult leader, and that we loved our cult life just as much as they did, if not more. They have one single objection to us. We broke their long lines of tradition. When the Pentecostal movement got into full swing and branches of the Pentecostal faith started growing from the trunk, there were many new non-denominational churches that started spreading up all across the nation. Some of these independent fundamental churches have outreach ministries, and you can now find non-denominational churches in several countries, especially in developing nations. The very core idea of a non-denominational church seems to have the correct idea. Your denomination of faith will not save you. Joining a church will not save you. Belonging to a group of people will not save you. Absolutely nothing will save you except for the grace that Jesus Christ has given us through faith in Him. So initially, these independent churches will promote themselves as being not being bound by denominational boundaries. All are welcome. There's not a Baptist, a Methodist, or, Methodist, or even a Catholic. In God's eyes, we're all God's children. The Church of Jesus Christ has no divisions. The body of Christ is made for men and women from all nations, races, and churches. The very beginning of William Branham's ministry was much the same. Some of the old-timers in the cult are very upset with the way that this cult has turned out. Because Branham promoted this idea when he started his ministry. They'll repeat Branham's all-are-welcome statement, if they draw you out of their little circle, draw a bigger circle and draw them back in. But tradition has set in. And many of us that are now leaving the cult are starting to realize that absolutely nobody is drawing any bigger circles. And I personally am finding that life is really backwards. Not just because people quit drawing circles of friendship, but because the new friends that I'm finding are powerful friendships that are fellowshipping around Christ, not something that happened 50 years ago. Our friendship is fresh and new. It's alive and growing, not dwindling down with the glimmer of the past. I have friends that are still on the inside of the cult of William Branham, new friends. 
Many of them know that the cult theology does not match the Bible, and some of them have known for years that William Branham had failed prophecy. It makes for interesting conversations because while sitting in a pew listening to the things that they know are not true, they're also bound by their tradition. When these independent, non-denominational churches begin, their initial cause is growth. They pull people in from their own tradition, telling them that their own traditions are making them grow stagnant. The new church grows. The seats are filled. And everybody is happy in their new church. Many ideas are formed, new ideas, many of which are based on the ideologies of multiple denominations. These ideas are blended together, forming new doctrines and teachings. And these teachings are repeated, commonly preached behind the pulpits, and become new ideas that make them a separate people. What they do not realize is that over time, the very thing that they have opposed, they have now became. They've created a new denomination of faith based on a new tradition. A denomination is nothing more than a set of values commonly agreed upon by a group of people, ideas that make them different from another group. These non-denominational churches over time become miniature denominations. But their initial growth is limited. It can only fill the four walls of a building. And not a, a single church does not technically produce a, a denomination. It is not considered such until there's a large number of people to be counted. Like the two to four million people denominated into the cult of William Branham. Over time, these new independent churches will find ways to become more independent. And as they grow, they'll become proud in their new denomination. That separating line between what they once were and what's, what they have now become is no longer a circle. It is a line in the sand. And when the denomination has grown to maturity, that line in the sand becomes four lines. And these four lines are to keep people in not to keep people out. Most of them did not have strong lines of outreach and growth because they were formed from an independent, separated people. The years and years behind the growth of the other denominations are not found in this new denomination. So in order to survive, <clears throat> they must do more to retain the people. This can only be accomplished by speaking evil of those in the other churches. The other churches must become the enemy, and the outreach programs instead become internal Gestapo. For those that have studied and examined the ministry of William Branham from start to finish, they notice this change. The early tapes were filled with a message that all are welcome, but then towards the end with a message that everyone else has taken the mark of the beast. What began as an open circle ended up with a line in the sand. The real problem here is that over time, the real purpose behind their forming this new church is long forgotten. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a story against human tradition. Jesus asked in Matthew 15, 
Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And just as the Pharisees had forgotten the reason of the law through repetition of their tradition, these new denominations have forgotten the reason of the gospel of Jesus Christ through their own tradition. The gospel of Jesus Christ was good news to everyone, but especially to the Gentiles. Christ offered salvation to everyone who believed on his name, Jew and Gentile alike. Men and women that were filled with traditions of idolatry, which integrated unspeakable evil into their temple worship, were now asked to sit at the table with those who had lived and served under the Mosaic Law. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about drawing bigger circles, bringing in more and more people. It's about telling others of the love and mercy of Christ, how he came to save the lost and dying world. And it's not about drawing lines in the sand to keep your, your denomination of faith alive from the inside. It's about spreading seed and growing the body of Christ from the outside. When the early disciples began spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was a much different time and place. Satan had a hand of power over the land because the children of Israel had broken and abandoned the covenant. Temple worship of the Baals was dominating over the earth, and demons were everywhere. The gospel speaks of men and women casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ, something that most Christians today will never see. Satan was lifted into authority, and his demons were openly turning the hearts and minds of the people into his slaves. Malachi 4 foretells the time when God would take back control, when the enemy would be trampled. And many do not realize how powerful that event really was. Today, when we pray for someone because the enemy is tempting them, we find that it is much, much different. The early Christians described what it looks like when a demon flees, something that almost none of us have witnessed. They describe a, de a demon fleeing into the animals, causing convulsions, creating a visible, noticeable event when a demon leaps out of a human and when it hears the name of Jesus Christ. When the early Christians went out, Jesus said that he saw Satan fall from the heavens as they went out and they trampled over the demons. The body of Christ was established and Christ was the head of that body. While many confused by the false teaching of William Branham confuse this passage, Ezekiel 17 describes exactly what happened. Long before Malachi prophesied about the calves leaping from the stall over the ashes of these wicked demons. Most of them confuse this because William Branham said that the eagles were likened to prophets. But listen to these two eagles. Because of William Branham's teaching, the cult also has the false idea that all prophecy of the Old Testament prophets were peering into the future as if they had some crystal balls. But that statement is not only false, it's exactly backwards. Most of the prophets were speaking the voice of God against things that had already taken place. Though many of them ended with the vision of the coming Messiah, the target of the prophecy 
was usually those who fell into idolatry, those that had created their lines in the sand. Ezekiel saw a vision of two eagles, both carrying a twig in its mouth and planting it. The first one described Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. The eagle was Nebuchadnezzar, and he was a very beautiful eagle with many colors. Coincidentally, this is the very same emblem that is used in Babylonian worship. Nebuchadnezzar had uprooted the children of Israel and was trying to assimilate them into his cult worship. The children of God, the chosen people of the Lord, were taken from their true faith to be converted into idolatry. If you read down in the chapter a bit, you'll find that the scriptures give the answer as to who this prophecy was about. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, Say now to the rebellious house, Do you not know what these things mean? Tell them, Behold, the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem, and took her king and her princes, and brought them into Babylon. Ezekiel 17, it's as plain as day. But notice, there was another eagle. And that eagle carried another branch. And it wasn't the multicolored eagle of Babylon. This eagle was God himself. He carried his branch to Mount Zion. And he planted it so that it would grow and produce fruit from the outside, not from the inside. And it was not just for the little eagles as we've been falsely taught, this twig would produce branches that would support all kinds of birds. Listen to what it says, Ezekiel 17. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will, I myself, this is the eagle, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain, Mount Zion. On the mountain height of Israel, Mount Zion, I will plant it, and it will bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, in the shade of birds, will every sort will nest. And all of the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I will bring low the high tree, Babylon, and I will make high the low tree, Israel. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord, I have spoken it, and I will do it. Ezekiel 17, read it for yourself. That eagle was God, and that twig was Christ. It wasn't some prophet or messenger. It wasn't some new denomination that would form and draw lines in the sand in order to bring people in and keep others out. This was Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who offered salvation to all who believed in his name, all the birds. Under Christ, there are no denominational barriers. Those barriers are walls that we have set up ourselves. But under Christ, there are real barriers. Barriers to prevent false teaching. You see, as a false leader and a false teacher rises with false teaching, snatching helpless souls out of their place in the body of Christ to create his own little bride, they build their own barriers. 
God does not even have to build barriers to keep those out. You'll notice that they eventually will build their own barriers. They sever themselves from the body of Christ. They reinforce the barriers by adding rules and regulations, many of which are not found in the Bible. Neither in the old covenant of law that Paul called obsolete, or under the new covenant of grace. They reinforce with visible barriers creating the rules based on outward appearance so that their new denomination can look and see the body of Christ and see the difference. But as Christians, we should ask ourselves the very same thing that Paul asked the early church after they had been freed from the demons. Paul says this, If with Christ you died to those elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to those regulations? Do not handle, do not tust, taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts, traditions, and teachings, they have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and sever the body of Christ. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Colossians 2. Ask yourself that question. If you're dead to these elemental spirits, why do you still submit to these regulations? Oh.